Amen. Well, thank you so much for leading us in worship. Um, I'm thinking about uh, the people that you've had teach thus far in this series, and it's a little intimidating because Cross is such a great teacher, and then Chad, I understand, is taught, but then Chad gets up here and plays the piano, and I can't even play my radio in my car, so it's a little, it's a little frustrating that you have so many talents, but I really am honored and, and humbled to be able to stand before you and talk about this subject. And when Cross asked me originally to come and speak to you tonight, uh, he said, these are the two verses I want you to look at. And as I read through them, I thought, you know, sometimes there are topics in Scripture that make people a little uneasy because we've been affected by what it's talking about. And I'm sure that if we were to poll this room, every single one of us has been affected by divorce in some way or another. And I know what happens with divorce sometimes and most often is there's a lot of baggage that goes with that, and there's hurt that goes with that. And sometimes you feel as if people look at you differently because of that. And I'm here to tell you that the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, He's a loving God who loves you and cares about you. And when somebody has walked through such a difficult time in their life, He's still there. He still loves you. He still cares for you. And so as we walk through this, walk through this specific subject, I want you to keep in mind that we serve a God that loves us and cares deeply about us, even as we walk through difficult things. So I'm going to read these verses to you in Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump into it. I know that if you look at chapter 5, you're going through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, I believe it's the greatest sermon that we see in Scripture. I believe the second greatest sermon that, that we see as far as a sermon laid out would be when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost and over 3,000 people get saved. But, I mean, come on, this is Jesus preaching, right? It can't get any better than this. And he covers so many topics. He starts out, he gives an introduction at the beginning of five. He goes into the Beatitudes. He talks about believers are to be salt and light. He talks about Christ fulfilling the law. He talks about how murder begins in the heart. Then he talks about how adultery begins in the heart. And then he throws in these two verses about divorce. And then he just keeps going. And I mean, it's just like he covers every subject that could affect us in one way or the other. And so I want to read these verses. I want to pray for us and let's jump into it. So this is Matthew chapter 5, verse 31 through 32. And here's what it says. It says... It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Let me pray for us. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. I thank you that, Lord, it's incredible that although it was written over 2,000 years ago, it could apply to us in this room this very day in 2020 as we walk through everything that we're walking through in our culture as we look at the virus, as we look at the political uh, situation we're in right now, as we look at all the things that are just screaming down at us right now, Lord, your word is alive and well. And if we'll seek it, you, you tell us if we'll draw near to you, you will draw near to us. So I pray tonight you'll speak to our hearts, and I pray this in your precious name. Amen. Well, when I look at this, it says the word divorce. Um, not a word we like to talk about. Not a word we like to talk about in the church. Not, not a word that most people want to have in a conversation. So I think what we need to do is go back to the beginning and look at what somebody would get divorced because they've been married. So let's look at marriage just for a moment before we look at this subject of divorce. Now I love this. It was already read tonight out of Genesis chapter 2 verses 21 through 25 that God ordained and instituted marriage. He's the one that did it. Okay. As a matter of fact, um, when I'm looking at this, it says in verse... Um, 
Let's see, I think it's verse uh, 21 or 22, or uh, verse 20. It says that after he had named all the livestock, they noticed, God noticed that there was really no helper for Adam. So that tells me one thing. It tells me that Adam went around naming all of the animals, and he did such a poor job, God looked at him and said, we've got to get you some help, buddy, okay? If you've ever been to the zoo, trying to pronounce the names of all these animals is ridiculous, okay? My kids, we went to the Cincinnati Zoo a few weeks ago. They're like, what is that? I said, it's a cute little fuzzy thing. And what is this over here? I said, it's a slimy little nasty thing. I mean, I cannot pronounce those names. So God looks at him and says, look, you've named them. You didn't do a great job. Let's get you some help, buddy. And so he creates Eve. God brings Adam and Eve together, and so here's the first thing I want you to see tonight is God created marriage. Now you say, well, well thank you for blessing me with that. That just, I didn't know that, okay? That's, that's earth-shattering to me. No, it's not, but here's what I want you to understand. When we say the word God, we are so numb oftentimes to his name that we forget who it is we're actually talking about. I want you to think about this. The God who spoke the world into existence, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So before there was anything, before there was time as we know it, God was there. That's the God we're talking about. So the God that spoke everything into existence, the God that holds everything in his hands, the God that has the ability to save you and I from our sins, he created marriage. And he said that it was good. He brings Adam and Eve together. He creates marriage. Now, I want you to understand something. I've heard all different types of definition of marriage, but it wasn't really until I began preparing for this that I thought, what is the actual biblical definition of marriage. And I had to go back to right here in Genesis chapter 2, and so I'm going to give this to you, and, and this is nothing major, but here's what I want to, I want to say to you. Marriage would, was designed and ordained by God to be between one man and one woman. That's it. That's how God designed it. He didn't give them a whole lot of the stuff. He said, leave your father and mother. By the way, Adam and Eve didn't have a father and mother because God just created them. He said, leave your father and mother and become one. That's it. That's the definition of marriage. Now, when we say our vows, typically when you hear those and you go to a wedding, and I'm sure these were said at your wedding, typically you'll hear, hear till death do us part. And so we think, well, that's the, that's the definition of marriage, that it should be one man and one woman until death do us part. But what you've got to understand is, at this point, when God creates marriage, death hadn't come into the world yet. You see, God didn't have to look at Adam and say, now you need to stay with her until one of y'all dies and then you can move on. Because, see, sin and death hadn't come into the picture. It wasn't until Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, that we see death come in. Remember, Adam and Eve take of the fruit, they eat of it, they hide from God, they clothe themselves, and then God comes down and says, hey, what are y'all doing? And in verse 19 of chapter 3, it says, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So he's saying to Adam, look, I formed you out of the dirt, one day you're going to die, and you're going to return to the dirt. And so it wasn't until Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, that really we'd have to, inst- we'd have to put that, that, that clause at the end till death do us part, because Adam and Eve knew nothing about death. They knew nothing about sin at that time. And so I want you to understand, the purity, the very basic foundation of marriage is one man and one woman. It's how God designed it. So, number one, God created marriage. But you know, when I look at those two verses that we started out in Matthew 5, 31, it says, whoever divorces his wife. Now, I don't know if you take notes in your Bible. I'm real weird. I have the worst handwriting of anybody in this room, so I don't take notes in my Bible because I used to do that, and when I go back to try to read them, I can't read them. So I don't put anything in my Bible. I may put a little mark or highlight something, but if I was going to do this in my Bible, I'd put parentheses around his wife. Here's the second thing I want you to see. Jesus celebrated marriage. Jesus celebrated marriage. Not only did God create it, but Jesus celebrated it. 
What do I mean by that? He, he celebrated biblical marriage. He didn't say um, his and his or him and him or her and her, or he didn't just say this person's spouse. He specifically said his wife. So God creates marriage between one man and one woman, and then Jesus comes back and he affirms that by saying his wife, not her and her, him and him. And you know what? The culture and world we live in today is trying to tell us something totally different. But it's not the way God designed it. It should be between one man and one woman. The third thing I want you to see tonight is this. The Bible confirms divorce is wrong except for two situations. Now, I've got to be honest with you. When I was growing up, so I grew up in the church starting at about four years old, okay? Before that, my dad was, a, he was, he was an electrician. Um, he worked a lot of hours. He made a ton of money. Um, we were just kind of living the great life. He was on pace to, to retire at about 45 years old. We'd already bought lake property, and we're putting plans together to build a house. God radically gets a hold of my dad's life in 1990. He's working on a power line that goes over the plant that he worked at, and uh, the city was supposed to turn all the power off to the plant. When he arrived at the, the, the plant that morning, there was guys working on some smaller things on the ground, so he climbed the ladder, put his wrench on the power line that ran over the plant, and he was electrocuted. Now, if you know anything about an electrician, when it goes in your body, it's got to come out. And so it blew out palms of his hands, blew out holes in his arm, blew out discs in his back. He just had another back surgery just a couple weeks ago. I was talking to him this morning. And what God did then is he put him in a coma. And it took my mom and my grandfather coming together and praying and saying, God, I don't care what you do, but if you will get him out of this, we'll do whatever you tell us to. And so the next day he pops out, and it took about six months for God to get a hold of his life because he was regaining his memory. So he had two kids. He had a job. He didn't know any of us existed. He knew, my, he knew my mom, but he thought they were still dating. So he had kind of like five, six years of his life had been erased, and it took him six to eight months to regain all this. But as he began regaining his memory, God began impressing upon him to go into the ministry. And so at that point on, I was in church. Now, when I say I was in church, I was in church Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon for, for uh, memor uh, Bible memorization, Sunday night for church. Uh, we were there Monday night for choir. We were there Wednesday night for church. And anything in between that, we were there. As a matter of fact, if you woke up on Sunday morning and you said to my dad, I don't feel well today, I can't go to church, he would say, throw up and prove it. And then if you threw up, he would say, now don't you feel better? Let's go to church. Okay, so we just went to church. That's how it was in my house. But I can remember as a little boy, anytime I heard the word divorce, I always heard it, in, heard it in a very negative connotation and as if looking down at the end of their nose at somebody that had gone through it. It was almost as if somebody had gone through it that they were looked upon differently. I don't see that in Scripture anywhere, that we're to look at people differently because of some situation they've gone through. God loves all people and he cares about all people. There are consequences to things we walk through. And sometimes there's things that we have to deal with because of things we walk through. But God still loves. And it wasn't until I became a teenager that I really began to understand that. But, you know, there's times in our lives we can't control these things. And so the Bible specifically talks about two areas where divorce is actually really the only option. I'll be honest with you. Here's the first place I want you to see. It's when sexual immorality is present within the marriage. It's when sexual immorality is present within the marriage. Now, anytime I hear the word sexual immorality, my mind immediately goes to the guy, okay? Well, that guy was out there, you know, he's messing around. But, you know, the reality is he had to mess around with somebody, okay? There was a man and a woman probably involved, okay? And so what I, what I usually find is, is that the man is seeking something outside of his home that he's not receiving maybe in the home physically. 
but he typically has a relationship with somebody outside of his home, and what she is doing is she is seeking emotional relationship that she's not receiving in the home or receiving from where she needs to receive that from. And so they come together, and where sexual immorality happens, this is what it says in verse 32, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality, except, there's an exception there. Now, I, I, I get an opportunity to do a lot of counseling with people, and I was counseling a couple a couple months ago, and, and they had walked through some immorality in their marriage. Um, and it was, it was mostly, to be honest with you, I'm not going to go into detail, it was mostly emotional immorality. In other words, it was a man at work having deep, intimate conversations with a woman that wasn't his wife. And it really didn't lead to much physical Okay, there was a couple kisses involved, and other than that, that was about all that it was. But it went on for a very, very long period of time. And when his wife finally found out about it and they began to work through it, he was unwilling to get rid of that relationship. And it just came to a point where they couldn't work through that anymore. And so when, I, when I'm talking about sexual immorality, sexual immorality can be a lot of things. It can be physically with somebody else. It can be pornography. It can be, it can be all kinds. It can be on an emotional level. But what it is, is giving something to someone else that's not your spouse, that only your spouse should be receiving from you. And so I want you to understand that Jesus is the one that said this. In the exception of sexual immorality, divorce is actually permissible. Now, I want you to understand the word permissible. It doesn't say that it's encouraged. It doesn't say that it is celebrated. It's permissible. I'll be honest with you. Um, I don't know that I could live in the same home if my spouse was having a sexual relationship outside of our house on an ongoing basis, right? I mean, I just can't imagine dealing with that. And so when I look at this, I'm very sensitive to this because people go through this all the time. Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 12. This is a whole lot. I'm going to read it pretty quickly, but I want to just give you kind of something right there in the middle of it. It says, Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up and tested him by asking, It is lawful, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? For any cause. So basically they're saying, Can you just divorce your wife for any reason you want to? He answered, this is Jesus, he said, Have you not read that who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? See, here's the issue, is people are always looking for a reason to justify sin in their own lives. I'm telling, I see this all the time. I see it in my own life. I can see where I'm dealing with something. I'll see someone else dealing with it. I'll think, well, it can't be that big of a deal. You know, cross deals with the same thing. And what I'm doing is I'm looking to justify that sin in my own life. I'm looking all other places except at Christ. And so what G- what, here's what Jesus said. He said, verse 9, um, he said, And I said to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, is it not better to marry at all? So the disciples are intrigued by this. He's saying, wow, they're saying, wow, if, there, if this is so complex and you can't just divorce for whatever reason and all this stuff and it's only sexual morality and it can cause all these issues, is it not just better not to get married at all? I mean, that kind of sounds right, right? 
Why not just not get married at all? But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have been made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. In other words, what Jesus is saying is if you can go without getting married, if that's something that you can deal with, Paul actually dealt with that. He never did get married, and he was able to overcome that because he was so focused on his relationship with Christ, and he found his identity in Christ, and he found all that he needed in Christ, which, by the way, regardless as if you're married or not married, this should be where you find all of those things anyways. And this is why I so often see marriages struggle on so many different levels because they're looking for all of their needs and identity to be met in their spouse, and God didn't design it that way. He designed all of that to be met through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so that first thing, the Bible confirms divorce is wrong except for two, situa- two situations. Jesus said sexual immorality. But then I also want you to see Paul actually talks about this as well in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. A non-belief- Here's the second thing, B. A non-believing spouse walks away from the marriage. So when, when is the second exception? What is the other exception for divorce? And Paul says, it, basically, if two people are married, one of them's a Christian and one of them is not. And let's see what he says about that. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 through 16. It says, To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. So Paul's saying, look, I'm single. If you can stay single, stay single. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, she should not divorce her. Uh, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, now here's where it is, but if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know wife, whether you will save your husband, how do you know husband, whether you should, will save your wife? Here's what he's saying. If there's a Christian lady married to a, a non-believing husband, she should do everything she can to stay in that, but if he chooses to leave, it is permissible that a divorce would happen, and vice versa. Husband's a believer, wife is not. I'm going to give you an example. My mom's one of eight children, and um, her youngest sister and her were probably the closest. My mom's right in the middle there. And uh, her youngest sister and her were very close. Growing up, I was always at their house. Um, her kids are about the same age as my sister and I. So we were just always together. And when I was very little, she was married to a guy who, to be honest with you, just as a three, four, and five-year-old, I knew this guy was just not a good guy. Um, I, I, I didn't know what. I didn't know what he was capable of or what he was doing. I just knew he was kind of scary to be around. And what ended up coming out over a period of time, my, my mom's youngest sister was a believer. And what ended up coming out is that he wasn't a believer and he just was not on the same path as her. And he was at a point where he was living in the marriage. Now, I want you to understand this. He was living in the marriage because he was see- receiving benefits from the marriage. You say, well, what do you mean by that? She was feeding him, she was clothing him, and she was giving him physical, uh, fulfilling physical needs that he had. So for him, why, why would he walk away? 
And she struggled for about two years. And then it became abusive. And he began to beat her. And he beat her very badly, often. And finally, one time, she called my mom from the hospital. And she said, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And she was in the hospital for a few days. My dad got in his little Toyota red truck. My dad, remember, he, at this point in our lives, he's kind of going into ministry. He's that, got that past. He reminds me of Cross. He's just, man, he's just the guy you want to be around. He's got this pastor's heart. He loves people. But my dad was a Marine and a boxer, okay? And so he shows up at this guy's house. He knocks on the door. The guy comes to the door. And he said, hey, Kenneth, come on inside. And my dad said, no, you need to come outside. And my dad got about that far from his face. He said, I'm just going to tell you as plain as I can. If you ever touch her again, I'll put you in the hospital, but it'll be permanently. And he got his little red truck and he drove away. And the next week, the guy divorced my, my, my mom's sister. You say, well, so, so we should force people into divorcing? No, I, I'm not for that. What I am saying is that, that, that Paul has given a context here. That if that's the situation you're in, the divorce is permissible. Now, I also want to stop here for just a moment, because anytime I hear people talk about divorce, we always hear this phrase, God hates divorce. God hates divorce. Malachi 3.16, and you will hear this preached all the time. Malachi 3.16, God hates divorce, but you always got to look at the context of a verse anytime you're looking at Scripture, because you see, I could take the verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me out of context, and I could go out outside the walls of this church tonight, and I could say, I'm going to do everything I can because Christ has told me I could to jump over this building, and you and I know no matter how many times I try, it's not going to happen, because I've taken that verse out of context. Paul wrote that verse when he was chained to prison guards, and he didn't know if he was going to be living the next day and he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You see, you've got to be very careful. What was going on in the book of Malachi is that men, and I'm going to just say it as frankly as I can, perverted men were marrying women for benefits that they wanted. And when they were done with the woman and thought that she was not fulfilling what they needed anymore, they were writing her a certificate of divorce. They were divorcing her and they were moving on to the next woman. Can I make a statement? God hates that. God absolutely hates that. But I can also tell you God hates to see any man abuse a woman. And God hates to see any man continually going somewhere else for what his wife is supposed to be doing with him. God hates that. He hates that. Because if we go back to the beginning and look at how he created it, it was, he created it to be him and her for now on. So, the Bible condemns marriage outside of, of um or I'm sorry, the Bible confirms divorce is wrong except for two situations. Number four, the Bible condemns remarriage outside of three situations. Outside of three situations. Here are the three. Number one, we just talked about sexual immorality. Okay, so in other words, man and woman are married. Man has continually cheated on his wife. The wife has done everything she can. She's gone to counseling. She's prayed. She's had a prayer warriors praying that God would bring this man back. It doesn't happen. They go through, through a divorce and over time, I believe God will restore her, and she is able to get remarried. Okay, that's number one. Number two would be, in the se that second situation we talk about, in an unbelieving spouse leaving. Okay, so husband and wife are married. Let's say that he's a Christian. She's not. She has chosen to leave. Can, can this guy get remarried? What the scripture says right here, when we were reading back in uh, 1 Corinthians, it says that, she, that he should try and go to restore the relationship with his former spouse. And I've seen this happen. You've heard of people getting divorced and coming back together. And that's what God says. But, but what happens if she's moved on and already gotten married? Does that mean this guy's just stuck and he can never be remarried? I, I believe that the grace of God allows that man to be remarried. I, I do believe that. 
And then here's the third reason is death. Death of a spouse. My, my, my wife's dad passed away when she was 10. And for about six years, um, my, my, my mother-in-law dated no one, and she really couldn't see herself with anyone. And then she fell in love with my middle school basketball coach. I, I knew him before she knew him. And, and so they, they ended up getting married, and it's a wonderful marriage, and they're, they're great uh, mother and father-in-law. They're great grandparents, and I love them, and I love to see how God has restored that for her. It was the death of a spouse. So there are three situations where remarriage is okay. Here's the fifth thing I want you to see. The Bible calls people to follow God's plan for them in regard to marriage. I want you to hear it again. The Bible calls people to follow God's plan for them in regard to marriage. There is no pressure on anyone to get married. I've heard people say, Paul could have had a stronger ministry if he had had a wife who could have come beside him. And ser- No, he couldn't have. You mean to tell me every time he was chained to a prison guard, they're going to bring his wife in there and he's going to be better off because she's chained to another guy? No, I don't think that that would have been a better situation. How about the time he was bit by the snake? How about the time he was thrown off the boat? You know what? Honestly, for Paul and his situation, it was probably the best situation. But even going further than that, he says, if you can, if you can go on without being married and, and, and God has given you the satisfaction of finding that in him, that, that's okay. But he says, if you're burning with passion or, or you, you so desire to be married, I would say this to you, be patient. Wait on the Lord. I, I counseled a guy for three years who was dating a girl. I, I told him on date one, this is the wrong girl. You say, Derek, how could you know? Because I had another friend who had dated her. She did not love the Lord. She lived a very immoral lifestyle. She was, um, she was a drunkard. She did recreational drugs. I mean, there was so much involved. And this guy was in seminary across the street going into ministry. He was physically attracted to her and started this dating relationship and got so far into the relationship, he didn't think there was any way out. And I just kept counseling him, man, you, if you say I do to her, If you say I do to her, you're saying I don't to something so much better. Because I want you to notice, when God creates Eve for Adam, he created one woman. He created one woman. And he gives her to Adam. I believe their marriage was incredible. Now, they obviously brought sin into the world and had to deal with all the consequences of that. But God had designed somebody for Adam. And Adam was designed for Eve. And I, I know what you're thinking, Derek, are you saying that there's only one person that I could be happy with? I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that you need to seek out the person that God has for you. And so I would encourage you to follow God's plan for you in regards to marriage. The sixth thing I want you to see here is the Bible charges married couples to fight for their marriages. Nobody's talking about this stuff. I cannot tell you how many guys I counsel who tell me, all my buddies at work tell me I need to divorce her. All my buddies that I go to the gym with tell me I need to dump her and go to someone else. No one's speaking this language into marriages. I can't tell you how many ladies my wife and I have counseled, and during the process, we hear the things, all my friends say he's worthless and I just need to get out. And they don't have these grounds for divorce. They're just listening to the world. The world is telling us exactly what Satan wants them to tell us. They're pawns. Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy, and forever I thought that Satan's whole goal was to destroy the church. I don't believe that anymore. I believe he wants the church to be destroyed. I believe he is coming at us with every single 
thing he's got to destroy the institution of marriage. And I believe he starts with the men. And I believe his, he feels that his job is to destroy the family because if he can drop the family, he can drop the church. So you don't have to focus on the big organization of the church. He just needs to focus on each one of these individual small marriages and destroy them and destroy them and destroy them and destroy them. And I'm telling you, he's using all kinds of things to do it. I'm so sick of media. I'm so sick of movies that I hear people talking about that I can look up on IMBD and see sex scene, sex scene, sex scene, sex scene. You know what that stuff's doing? It's painting a picture in our minds of something that's not reality. And it's calling us to do stuff that God's never designed us to do. you got to get rid of that junk and follow after the Lord. So Ephesians chapter 5, I love this passage, verse 25 to 33 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let his wife see that she respects her husband. You are to fight for your marriage. He calls husbands and wives to fight for their marriage. Do you know why I won't text a female ever on a private text message? Ever? Without adding my wife onto it? Or adding somebody that I work with onto it if it's a lady in the office, if it's my coordinator? She knows that we don't text privately. Do you want to know why? Because I don't want to ever put myself in a situation or ever put somebody else in a situation that something could possibly happen. You say, Derek, it sounds like you don't trust yourself. You are right. I don't trust my, my, my flesh. And it takes you walking out of the spirit for five minutes to mess up. It takes me just, just seconds to make a mistake. You read about it all the time from pastors, from ministers, from teachers, from all this stuff. I'm just telling you, you got to fight. you got to protect what God gives you. Right across the hall are four little children. They're my kids. And I'm going to tell you, if somebody ever busts in my house, I'll probably kill them. Because I'm going to protect them no matter what. And that's the way I'm going to treat my marriage. I'm going to fight for it. God calls us to fight for what he gives us. Number seven, marriage communicates the gospel of Jesus Christ and his relationship to the church. This is why he designed marriage. So that the marriage would point to the relationship between Christ and the church. He uses it as an example in Ephesians, and I've heard it taught so often as Jesus and the church being an example of how to have a marriage as if all of that's set up just for marriage. And it's backwards. The marriage is set up to show the relationship between Christ and the church. Jesus said he'll never leave you nor forsake you. You never have to worry, is Jesus going to cheat on me? Is Jesus going to fall into immorality? Is Jesus going to go have an adulterous affair? No, he's always there. And he promises you if you'll be intimate with him, if you'll draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. And so it's a picture. Think about this. You and I get this incredible opportunity to walk our lives each and every day as a beacon of light 
for Christ. He said we're to be a light set on a hill. You, you, you've heard it, salt and light. We, you, you've talked about that. That we're to be salt and light. The marriage is just another picture of not only Christ, but Christ in his relationship to the church. He is the groom. She is the bride, and he will fight for her. He will fight for us. And so that's the beauty of the marriage. Now, I know what you're thinking. Derek, I'm not married. Maybe one day I'll be married. I desire to be married. Maybe you say, I don't know at this point, and all of those things are fine. So how does this apply to me? What is God calling me to do? I believe he's calling each and every one of us in this room to do the exact same thing. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7 says, Everyone who is called by my name, this is God talking, whom I created for my glory, stop. Circle it, highlight it, put parentheses around it, put stars beside it, write it on your mirror at home, print it off, put it somewhere. You were created for God's glory. Whether you're walking right now, in the position you are in your life, whether you get married, it doesn't change. We're created to glorify and honor God in every single thing we do. Guys, that's when we're surfing these dumb things and we're on the internet and nobody's around. That's when we're at home, we're flipping through the TV stations. We're on our computer. Everywhere we go, everything we do should be about Christ. You say, well, I'm, I'm not a minister, so I don't have to worry about that stuff. I'm looking back at Joel Breda. Joel and I used to work together, and he's an engineer. God has called him to be an engineer. God has equipped him to be an engineer. And I believe this with everything I've got, the way his mind works, because I've seen how he is designed by God, that God has placed him in an incredible opportunity. But it doesn't give him the right to say, I'm just going to focus on this and not worry about God. My church life is my church life, and my work life is my work life. He's taken the gifts that God has given him. He's walking through there. It should be glorifying the Lord through it. That's his calling on our lives. Whether you're married or not married has nothing to do with the fact that we are all called to glorify and honor the Lord. I just want to encourage you tonight that God is good no matter what phase of life you're in. Pastor Steve often says, be where your feet are. God has placed you in this position for a reason. Be there and honor and glorify the Lord while you're there. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Lord, I thank you for how just incredibly attentive this room has been. I thank you, Lord, as I've just looked around. I've seen just people that are hungry for your word. God, that is so rare today in the culture and world we live in. God, I pray you'll bless this room. Bless every man. Bless, bless every lady that's in here tonight. God, I pray you'll draw them close to yourself. I pray you'll encourage them. May Satan have no place of discouragement in their minds or hearts. I pray you'll be Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, our banner over them. I pray as you did for Joshua in Joshua chapter 4 where you went before him and fought his battles for him. The Israelites didn't even have to fight. They just showed up and enjoyed the victory. God, that you would go before them and fight their battles and that they could just experience your victory, your peace, your love, your grace, your mercy. Lord, if there's anyone in here that's hurting, God, I pray you'll scoop them up and love on them and encourage them and bless them. God, if Satan is tempting someone tonight, if Satan's working in their hearts or minds, Lord, I speak against him and I plead the blood of Jesus Christ over them. God, I pray, Lord, that you'll draw each and every person to yourself in this room. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that your word cuts deep. And Lord, it reveals things to us that, that we can never know outside of getting in your word. 
Thank you for the time we've had together. We love you and praise you in your precious name. Amen.